Wow, praise God. So the Lord's just trying to, to do a work in us constantly. Praise God. I don't want to prophesy something falsely, but I feel like, you know, we go through seasons at times, and sometimes the season's really tough. But So take this to the Lord. I don't want to make it a prophecy, but I say, I'm not saying things are going to change in the world around you, but I just get a glimpse of things changing in your personal lives. I just feel like the Lord was breaking some things open. I felt it yesterday. I just saw that the Lord was shifting us into the next season, just like the buds of the flowers, right? They're in the ground. It's cold. It's dark. It's heavy. It's just dreary. My property, I love my property in the spring. We bought our house in the fall because all the colors, but it is the worst place in the winter. It's just a long winter. And now I've been there for a few years. And so now it's not like it's just my first glimpse, like this year, even more than ever. I'm just like, come on, spring. I love snow and I love the winter and, and those pretty things. But when there's no snow and no flowers and it's just dead and dry. And I felt like it was a picture of the, maybe the season we've been in spiritually. But I'll tell you what, the, all of a sudden, the green starts coming out. Who just feels better? Just in the natural. The same thing happens spiritually. We're in seasons. You must endure. You, we, we serve the Lord during those dry and hard seasons. We love him during those times. But when things begin to bud and get green, get excited. Really. You better, because winter's going to come again. So you better ride your spring while you've got it into summer. Praise God. In fact, uh, this is not really the sermon, but I feel like the Lord wanted me to say this. Um, I actually got a picture. He showed me a manual transmission. We don't have a lot of them anymore, but who remembers your manual transmission? Right? So I'm picturing you working your way in a really low gear. You know, it's, your car gets nowhere in first, does it? Right? You know, First gear is just really to get you started. First, second, right? But if you're going up a mountain, you might need first a little bit more than you would on a flat. It's not so quick to shift, is it? In fact, you're shifting and you're shifting and you think you're finally out of it. You got a little dip and then you're back into first and second and third. And the Lord was just showing me that and I saw it and then I could see, you know, at some moment, there is a time where, the, where it breaks, and all of a sudden, you begin to shift into third, into fourth. You put it into high gear, and then what happens? Come on, you're, all your manuals, you remember, what do you do once you're in high gear? Do you keep shifting? The kids need to be instructed. That's it. The manual's over, and now you just sit back, and it's cruise control. Wow. I just felt like the Lord uh, wanted me to say that today. And what I said before that, just a moment ago, about things breaking, you know, like I wasn't sure. I didn't want to say that unless it was the Lord, but I felt like I needed to. So I just see that that's the Lord. And a second thing I want to say is that the Lord was also showing me that projects, that when we do something for the Lord, if you've ever done a project, whether it's a simple little painting project for, your, you know, sitting at your dining room table or even a puzzle, no matter what it is, what's all the time? It's all the preparation, isn't it? It's all the setup. You know, everybody just wants to get to doing the job. Let's just get the job over. What happens when you just get to doing the job without the preparation? You have to prepare anyway. 
but now you're preparing during the job, which is much more annoying, and in fact causes extra steps, much more time. And maybe, again, I don't want to prophesy falsely, so you just take this to the Lord, but these are just some things that were in my heart, and I don't always come and bring these things with the sermon, so hopefully you'll, you can hear them from me. It's not like, hey, he does this every week. He's always got something to prophesy. It's not like that. But just that the Lord's been moving things and setting things up. And that feels like you're not getting anywhere. It feels like when all the tools are getting laid out and the table's getting laid out and the horses are getting out and all this stuff's getting laid out, it's like, man, let's just get this job done. But if you've done all your preparation right, what happens? Then the job goes very smooth. That's actually the easiest part. It's all that prep work to get there. Uh, the, you know, they just painted the hallway, and they did a really great job with it this week. And what's well, all that time? It's all the cutting time. <laughs> it looks really pretty in there. All right, but it's all that little stuff. You know, you can roll the walls really fast. That's done in 30 seconds. But then it's like, well, now it needs another coat. And now it needs to be cut. And now you need to clean up. Now you need to hang this. And it's all those things. But, you know, all of that is then what brings it together. So I just see that the Lord has maybe been doing that in your own lives, in my life, a lot of preparation and a lot of moving and setting things up. And it feels like, like what is all this? It doesn't seem to make any sense, but the, but the Lord is placing and putting things in position for his final result. Praise God. So just receive that. Take it to the Lord. And, uh, and that's all I'm going to say with that. God's looking for people to truly seek him. I want you to say this out loud. God needs us to rely on him. I'm going to get more into that today. This is what I said last week, that he wants us to rely on him. He's looking for people who are truly dependent upon him. So I want to get into this word. We're going to look in the book of Judges, chapter 6, Judges 6. And we're going to be looking at a character named Gideon. And he was there in the Hall of Faith. As you look down in the Hall of Faith, he's one of the names that is named. So God penned him down in the New Testament as somebody that you should take note of that had incredible faith. And so here he is, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start right with verse 1. Here's where the story begins. And it says that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. God would never do that, right? God would never put a nation under a curse, would he? Does God allow a nation to be oppressed? Does God allow a nation to go through hard times? Well, my Bible says at least one time in history he did. If he ever does it again, only he knows. But our word says he did, which means it's possible that he would do it again. So sometimes when a nation is evil, and sometimes when a nation says, God, we don't want you, God says, fine, you don't want me, I'll let you have what you want. And so it says, verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So they hid. They hid from their oppressors. And verse 3 says that whenever the Israelites planted their crops... It was stolen. Whenever they planted, they would come and steal it. It says that marauders would come and they would take it. And you can see 
Maybe now you feel like some of your money today is being taken. Who notices your dollars is worth a lot less than it used to be? You feel like when you pay, you're overpaying for every single thing. Do you realize that you work just as hard for that dollar today as you did right when it was worth more? You know, like I said, even last week, we're, we're, there's a facade. We're trying to pretend like everything's normal, but, and, and we're going to trust God. This is not about not trusting the Lord. In fact, that's what it's, this is what this sermon's about. We're going to trust him. Praise God. But let's not be fools and not see that you, some of your, they're stealing a portion of your money. Every single thing you buy is actually stealing 30% more of the same dollar that you had before. And so here we are. Here's a Bible story thousands of years ago where they were feeling what you're feeling. Praise God. Isn't God amazing that he penned down these stories for us to read throughout time? Throughout history, there's always a story in his Bible that is relevant for his people today. And I'm so thankful for that, that I can go to his word. And people are like, man, that book is old. It's archaic. It doesn't make sense. And I'm looking at it going, did they write this about the time that we're in the United States? Is this what we're talking about? It says the Israelites, verse 4, had nothing to eat. Praise God, we haven't gotten there. It costs you more. They're stealing. We haven't gotten to that place. I pray we never do. It's not impossible, but I pray we never get to that place. Other nations have seen that in history, haven't they? When the communist regime, this, this communist mentality comes in, look at, just look at history. It's not, you don't even have to go far back. When I was a kid, one of my youth pastors was from Venezuela, and he had left there and come here, and he loved his country, and he never said one bad word about his country. And, and so, literally, just in my lifetime, right, some communists came in. Do you guys know your, your, your modern history, right? Communists came in. They took over the nation, and you know what they did now? They said, they said you're going to fend for yourself. I'll tell you what we'll do. This is true. They dropped off two rabbits at everybody's house. The government said, here's your food, because they can reproduce so quickly. Here's your food. That's, my, that's right now, guys. Like, right now. Right there. Just, just that way. Go south, Venezuela. And that's happening right now. And that's what communism does. Now, we're not there. But, it, but my point is that that's where it can take you. And so... What does it say in verse 6? The same thing that we're going to do and we are doing. There's only one answer. It's only one solution. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it to you right now. It's to cry out to the Lord. No matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, whether it's personal, whether it's national, whether it's world, it's always the same solution that it's the Lord. The Lord is the only one that can help. If this is his this is his domain. No matter, Jeannie was talking about the devil tries to let you, let you think that it's his domain, that he has power, and he does not. This is, God's, this is God's earth. Now, the devil is the little G God of this world, and if you let him be that, he will. But our God is greater, amen. And Satan was crushed under Christ's cross. Praise God. That's even what the picture is. Golgotha, you know what it means? It means place of the skull. It literally was, this cross was pounded into the skull of Satan once and for all to show who's God. So what they do that says the Israelites, verse 6, cried out to the Lord for help. 
Now, this is just a preview. I'm just, I really want to talk about Gideon. I want to talk about what's going to happen here, but you have to know the backdrop of the story, and I know that, we, that many of you already know the story, but so this is just review. But these are some good reminders of what was happening then, and they sound oddly familiar to what we're seeing, even if not in every way physically, but spiritually in this nation. Spiritually, it feels like the enemy is taking all the ground. And more than ever, right? Cancel culture. You guys know that term. More and more, they're canceling another person. Anybody who says anything against the status quo is just canceled. And anyway, we're not going to get into that. It's not a political sermon. That was just a, just a preview here for Judges. So Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Praise God that the Lord answers. I want you to say this out loud. The Lord hears our cries. When we cry out to him, I, don't, I am not going to stand here and tell you a time frame. I'm not going to tell you it'll be instant. I'm not going to tell you it'll be in seven years or in 70 years. But I will tell you this, that the Lord hears your cries. And if you cry out to him, he hears it, and he already has a solution in the works. And so the Bible says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came, and Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And right there, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 11, hall of faith, great man of faith, right? Everybody say Gideon was a man of faith. Well, Judges 6, 11 says Gideon was in the bottom of a wine press hiding. The hall of faith is talking about a man who once, everybody say he once was in hiding. This is his origin story. You get to see behind the scenes. You get to see the man before he became the man that God saw who he was. And that's really what I want you to see today. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You can pull that up in the New King James too. It says, mighty man of valor. Verse 13, I just want to read a few verses, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to pick this paragraph apart. It says, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? And didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the Lord, Gideon, uh, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Wow. Wow, praise God. Who's just filled with faith already? I am. I'll tell you what, you read a paragraph like that in your word. You know, it's the strangest thing. I've been serving the Lord now. Um, you know, the earliest memory that I remember asking Jesus into my heart was five years old. And, you know, you go through stages. <laughs> You're certainly not a, 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 uh, an armor-bearing Christian at five. But um, 
praise God, you know, that was 35 years ago. So I've been serving the Lord a long time, and I'm still today, after 35 years, at least if my memory of serving him, 25 years, if you want to say, you know, that I was older when, I, when it really clicked in. And in the, all those years, I'm still being reminded, reminded today of his faithfulness and seeing that I really need him to come and to build up our faith, to come and help us. I mean, you'd think after 25 years of serving him that I'd already be a mighty man of valor, a mighty hero, and I need him to come to me and find me sometimes at the bottom of a wine press, even after all those years of serving him and all the faithfulness, and say, come on, man, get up. I've got some things for you to do. Praise God. And I'm so encouraged when he does, who's just filled with so much strength and faith when the Lord, he suddenly, I don't know why he waits. That's what I was going to try to say. That was the prep. I was saying that. But here's what I was trying to say. I don't know why it takes so long sometimes for him to come and do that. And then what happens is in the moment when he does, I just try to not think about that and say, I'm not going to spend time here going over why did you wait so long to come and remind me. But praise God, you're here today. You're speaking to me today, and I hear the call, and yes, Lord, praise God. So he comes to this man named Gideon, and he starts with him by saying, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you, man of valor. Do you know the wording that the, that the Hebrew uses is the same words? I'm not going to get into a big, giant teaching, but I think this is worth looking at. It's the word gabor. That's the, one of the roots. It's gabor, khalil, something like that. And, and, and gabor is actually the root to the giants, the gibberims. They're the giants. God literally, when he looked at Gideon, Gideon's hiding. And when God looked at him, he called him a giant, wasn't calling him the spirit of the giants, but he was calling him a giant. Sometimes you think you don't realize who you are to God and to the enemy, but that you are really mighty men and women of valor. You are giants in the kingdom of God. And that's not something, you know, you're not going to puff your chest up and go priding yourself around to the world and telling everybody you're a giant in the kingdom of God. That's not, that's not it. It's not pride, but God is looking at someone here in this church today and calling you strong and mighty and valiant. These are the definitions of this word, champion. And the khalil, the other part of this word, is that you are a champion, a valiant, a strong, and the other half of the word that he called him when he said Gabor Khalil, or I know that I'm messing that up, so anybody Jewish that's listening to this, don't judge me. But uh, anyway, he's, the second part of that is, that's where we get the value. It's someone of wealth, of virtue, of valor, of strength, of force, of ability, a band of soldiers, mighty, riches, strength, strong, substance, virtuous, worthy, valiant. This is the other half. So he is saying you are a giant in valor, a giant champion. Praise God. God calls him a giant in his sight, a mighty, valiant warrior. But Gideon's faith is not so strong. Praise God that God sees you. You ready for this? God sees you for the decisions you're going to make in the future, not for who you are today. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, when you look back at your life where he saved you and you thought, man, this is amazing. You know, maybe even, or, or moments, mile marks along the way. Let's just go back five years, 10 years, 20 years, if you've been saved that long. And you look at those moments and you go, God, you love that person? You call that person a mighty valiant warrior? You called that person, you like you were okay with that person? You loved me and gave me grace and mercy in that person? Praise God that God sees your decisions you're going to make, and that's how he sees you. Wow. This is, this is what Gideon says. You ready? I'm just going to sum it up. He says, let's just count these up. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the miracles? But now the Lord has abandoned us. How can I rescue Israel? What a man of faith. Don't you love this faith? Who's getting filled with faith by Gideon's faith? Come on, he's listed in Hebrews as, the man of, as a man of faith. The hall of faith. We can't even go on about them. There's too much. To go on, we're just going to list their names because we don't have time to get into it, but he's in there. This questioning, because we don't have time to get into it today, I encourage you, go back and you can read Judges 6 and on, on your own time. Read those chapters on your own time. But you'll see that he questions just like this the entire time, doesn't he? Who knows the story of Gideon? All he does is question God, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't let his questioning, you ready? He doesn't let his questioning influence his obedience. You know that you having doubt and questioning God is not actually a lack of faith? Your lack of faith is not being obedient, even though you don't understand. When you're afraid, when you doubt, when you question, do it anyway. And you know what the Lord says? I didn't see any doubt. I don't see any questioning. All I see is your action of faith. Isn't that amazing? I hope someone's being encouraged today. And because I think, because Jeannie too on Tuesday was just also just a tag team on that, and I feel like the Lord does that a lot. I say something on Sunday, then she's feeling it for Tuesday, and then it goes back into the next Sunday. I feel like the enemy has come to try to make you feel like he's reminding you of that. All you said to the Lord was the if, why, where, but, and how. And the Lord's not even hearing it. You need to know today, the Lord didn't even hear it. You know what he's looking at? Will you be obedient? If you've been obedient, then just throw it out. If you haven't been obedient, then just obey. It's as simple as that. And the Lord just takes all the questioning, all the doubting, and just washes it away by his blood. Wow. Praise God, he doesn't see you through your doubts. God sees you from your future, from where your faith has progressively increased to the point where his view of you becomes reality. He says to God, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord says to him, I will be with you. The Lord will be with you. You know that God is not concerned about your weakness. In fact, I hope you get it. God picked you on purpose because you were the weakest. God picked you on purpose because you were the least in your family. 
There was a reason since you were a little kid that your family picked on you. There was a reason maybe you were in a neighborhood and you had no friends. Come on, you know, sometimes we don't understand our stories. There was a reason that you were ostracized and picked on and bullied. And it's not always the works of the devil. Sometimes it's part of your call. Because then when you turn to the Lord, there's no strength in you to rely on. You know that whatever happens from this point on, it's God. I know that I'm not responsible, and who gets all the glory? You know, the only jealousy allowed in the universe is from God, and it's jealousy for his glory. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Lord, for preaching to me, too. I'm reminded again of the, such a simple truth. It's the foundation to our faith. I'm reminded of this truth that's so obvious yet it gets lost in all the noise of life. Even Christian life, the simple truth is, you ready for this? It's all about Jesus. Everything else must be under him, and anything we do of value must be built upon him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 it says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. And now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. I want you to say it out loud. I must be very careful not to tamper with the foundation that God laid. That's what the enemy is going to do. He is going to try to do, because you know that, come on, builders, we know it. What's the key to any building? It's not how pretty it is. Right? It's not the flowers in the lobby, women. Right? It's not the paint in the walls, not the carpets. It's the foundation. You have, you have everything else perfect. The foundation's wrong. The whole building's wrong. Right, Leaning Tower of Pisa? Christ is the foundation and he says, you must be very careful, be very careful, because, and we're not, we don't have time today, I'm not going to get into a big teaching, you can go on there, read it, 1 Corinthians 3 yourself, but he's going to talk about how you build on it. He says in verse 11, for no one can lay, you ready for this? Let's just say it out loud, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Praise God. The devil's after that foundation. That's why the church has been removing systematically. The devil's been trying to remove him from the church from the beginning. Because it doesn't make sense without him. It's literally a waste of your time. In fact, it'll be works tried in fire, it says, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Christ sent me to preach the good news. He says, not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. It is all about Christ. He said, I know you guys are getting irritated because I don't have fun stories for you. I wish I had some videos maybe to make you feel good during the service. 
But all I've got is the cross of Christ. And I decided, and the Lord decided for me for that matter, that that was the point because that's the power, Christ on the cross. The power of Christ is it. Verse 18, just again, time just, time's ticking so fast for me. But goes on and says, 18, he's talking about how foolish the cross is for, to the world. They don't understand, but we know it's the power of God. And then he says in verse 23 that Jews are getting offended and the Gentiles are saying it's nonsense. Christ is the power and he's the wisdom. He goes on in 20, verse 26. He says, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, verse 27 Come on, church. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things like us, things. He chose people. He says things here, but he means people. He chose people who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose people despised by the world, counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Verse 30 says, God's united you with Christ. And verse 31 says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. First uh, uh, John four four in the New King James. First John four four. New King James says, "It says, you are God, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because come on, we know this verse. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." God must be glorified. The reason he came and picked Gideon is exactly the same reason why Gideon spoke the way he did. God says, perfect. You don't think you've got it. You're the right guy. That's why I picked you. Perfect. As soon as you think you got it, pride comes before the fall. The Bible says, in Judges 6, you know what God does? The very first thing he does, there's a little bit more questioning going on. You can read it in your own time. He's still questioning God, but he's about to be obedient to God. Here's the obedience. You know what God says? The first thing we got to deal with, Gideon, he says, verse 25, chapter 6, take the bull. Get rid of the bull. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, and pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, and sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. 
So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. There's an old saying, and it's one that I found maybe five years ago, but it's much older than that, much older than me. But I, when I found it and I heard it, I've been taking it as my own. When you're afraid, do it afraid. It's not, God's not going to judge you for being afraid. Afraid is on purpose. You know what I was starting to meditate on? You know, people that aren't afraid get killed. You are supposed to be afraid. It's part of your DNA. God designs you afraid on purpose. It's called fight or flight, right? We're not going to get into the whole thing, right? <laughs> right? Bears on, the, bears on your hiking trail. You're supposed to be afraid on purpose because I have to now, my, you're, actually your body clicks into a gear that's beyond, it's, it's on an instinctual level. Your mind doesn't even, your mind is slower than what your body does. All of a sudden, you're fighting or you're running and you don't even, now you're like, I'm running or I'm fighting. And it's on purpose. God's actually designed you on a DNA level to have fear because it heightens your awareness of the situation. And if God didn't allow the devil to frighten you, what would we do? This is me. This is really me. Apparently, Dawn would tell you. I guess that's real. I say it's not true. You got to record me. She says she has. You'll be lulled to sleep. So you being afraid of the devil is actually God. But what you do with that fear is up to you. You can say, you know what? My faith is weak right now, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And the first thing he had to do was he had to get rid of all the idols all the other things that had been built up in his life, the things that could have taken him down, there it's a generational thing. This is, this is what the world says you'll be. It's really Baal's just, the image of Baal is a bull. It's literally, where do you think we got the horns and the tail from? Sometimes people don't know. It gets lost in translation. You see this guy with the horns and the tail? It comes from this. He's literally the bull god. He's literally horns and the tail. Satan himself, they were worshiping. you got to tear that down, and you're going to decide today who you're going to worship. Praise God. And, you know, you're afraid. You don't know what it's going to mean. I don't even, I don't, just like we did the first time we followed him. I don't know what that means to follow you. We need to keep saying, yes, 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 Lord. It was a declaration of his beliefs, and it came with rejection from his family. The Bible says, verse 29, who did this? In verse 30, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal, for cutting down the Asherah pole. Came with rejection, Right? You think, man, I served the Lord, rejected Satan. Now God's going to, he's going to elevate me, right? Humble yourself before the Lord. Resist the devil. He'll lift you up. What he didn't tell you was, let's just spread that verse apart. He eventually lifts you up. He'll lift you up after you're going to deal with it for maybe a few minutes, maybe a few years. He will lift you up. That's his promise. But I'm not telling you how quickly. You might be afraid again for a little while. 
when they come looking for you to kill you, when your family's rejecting you and you're like, Lord, I want to serve you. I think we're out of time. We could keep getting into this. I guess we're getting into it more next week. But who's excited by what the Lord's going to do in you? I want to say this. Gideon was obedient, and God is asking us to do the same thing. Sin has caused God to remove his hand of protection. And it requires sacrifice, requires that we put everything on the altar, our sins, our idols, our fears. And, you know, we can do that individually, and we can do that for our nation. We can represent our nation. That's biblical. And before God works through Gideon, because he's about to put his spirit on him. We don't have time for it today, but I'll just give you a preview. In verse 33, his spirit comes upon him. Verse 34, before the spirit of God comes on him, he's looking for you to remove yourself from your family, from your ties, from this world. And it's like, it is, we're going to push back Satan. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm afraid. I don't understand. I've got a million questions for you. What about the people in the Amazon jungle? What about all the other religions? And I'm going to put all my ifs, all my questions. What about evolution? And why are all the scientists saying that they don't believe in you? But somehow I know inside you, you're real. And I'm going to put all the questions aside. And I'm going to trust you anyway. And something begins to happen inside you. The Spirit of God's about to come. Praise God. Before God works through Gideon and pushes the enemy back, he's going to push him back through Gideon. God deals with the reason the enemy had the right to be there. So we'll get more into that next week, but that's your preview. I love you and bless you.